another week of self-quarantine, which means more opportunities to wonder, God, do you really have this whole world in your hands? I mean, are you still there? Because many, if not everyone who's watching today has experienced both moments in your life where you wonder if, if God is still there or you've had moments where God is obviously near and moments where you wonder. In fact, I would venture to say that you have probably experienced a lot of both and you go back and forth between the two. I mean, one season, one year, one month, one week, one day, probably this last hour, oh, he's still there. And then the next moment, where is he? And we sort of go back and forth. Oh, there is God. Or where on earth is he? And sometimes this back and forth can cause you to go, just forget it. So we quietly wonder, I mean, is this normal? And if it is, what do we do when we're in these where is God moments? And what do we do to sustain a, oh, he's still there moment? And this is something I have needed so many times in my life. And, and years ago, I heard someone share a message, and I made notes in my Bible, and I've, I've revisited these notes several times. And, and I've made notes in the Bible, and I've written an S, and I've written a W, and I'll explain a little bit more in a bit. But I want to go back and start where this whole idea came from. And, and I want to give credit to Moses for writing it. So in Exodus 1, uh, before Exodus, God has established this family group. It, it started with Abraham, and Abraham has two boys, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is sort of where Islam develops from. It's the genesis for that. Isaac is the beginning point for the Jews. And the Torah, which later is incorporated into the Bible that we call the Old Testament, follows the descendants of Isaac. The Quran, on the other hand, follows the descendants of Ishmael. The reason that Christians really take the Hebrews, the Jewish writings, and add them to their own work, the, the Bible, is because of Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, long before Jesus, it predicts almost exactly who Jesus was. And the early Christians were trying to convert Jews, and the verse is a huge piece to the puzzle that connects the two. Anyway, enough context already. After Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, and we had Joseph, and Joseph's the one that had the colorful coat who saved all the Hebrews. They're absolutely on top of Egypt, and they had saved them from the political power and influence in Egypt. And we would rightly say, God is still there. I mean, things were going great. That must be God, right? And that's how the book of Genesis ends. And then we turn the page and we go to Exodus. And Exodus is the land of Egypt, the land of pharaohs. And when we get to the book of Exodus, it's almost as things begin to, to go back and forth. And so I want to go there this morning. And if you have an app, go ahead and get your app out. If you have your Bible, I want you to get your Bible out. You can pause the video and grab a Bible. And I almost want you, if you can, get a pencil, get a pen, and it's not necessarily sacrilegious, but go ahead and write in the margins. That's why you have them in your Bible. And I want you to look at this because it's extraordinary what begins to take place in this passage. Exodus 1 starts this way. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. And the total number of people born to Jacob was 70, and Jacob was already in Egypt. And we look at that and we go, there's God. Look, God is still doing amazing things through his people. But then look at verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. I mean, they just they died of natural causes. But then, but then the Israelites were fruitful and prolific, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. And a new king, 
A new king arose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to the people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Let's deal shrewdly with them or, or they will increase. And in the event of war, they're going to join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them. Pithom and Ramsey for Pharaoh. And we read that and we go, well, where did, where did God go? I mean, just a second ago, it was like Joseph was there and everything was awesome. And now there was a new king and where's God? But then verse 12. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and they spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And we go, oh, so God's still there. He still has the whole world in his hand. But then verse 13, the Egyptians became ruthless in imposing on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and bricks and every other kind of field labor. And they were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed on them. Then... The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shapira and the other one Pua, said, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women, if you see them on the birthstool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. And now we're going, where's God? Look at the circumstances of the situation. How can you say there's a God? Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but they let the boys live. And you go, still there. God's still there. <clears throat> Verse 18, it continues. They summoned the midwives and who, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, <laughs> for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <clears throat> so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families. There's God. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile River, but you shall let every girl live. Well, where's God in that? And then we get into chapter 2. Chapter 2, now it tells us about a man who was born from the house of Levi, who married a Levite woman, and they conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby boy, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer um, hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and she plastered it with bitumen and pitch and she put the child and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to the baby as they pushed him down the Nile. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and while her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and he was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. And she gathered the child and gave it to Pharaoh's daughter. And we look at this and we go, and any time there's a baby in the Bible, any time there's a baby born, it's a moment of hope. And it's in this moment that we begin to see God still has the whole world in his hands. So Moses grows up and his mom nurses him still there. Then he grows up and he kills an Egyptian and hides for years. Where's God? There's the burning bush. He frees Hebrews from slavery. God's still there. Then he wanders in the wilderness for 40 years and wonders, where's God? Then they enter the promised land. The kingdom expands and we have a king and we go, oh, God's still there. And then those kings over time deny God. The prophets come back and call people to God and we go, still in his hands. But then people don't listen and things get quiet for hundreds of years in Babylon. And we go, where's God? Time passes. John the Baptist tells the Messiah is coming and we go, oh, still there. 
but most of them don't believe him, so we wonder what's going on. Jesus is born, and then we actually point and go, look, God is like actually right there. And we read the story, and then Lazarus dies. They tell Jesus, I mean, why weren't you here? Where were you? I mean, it sounded like our prayers. If you would have just been there, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. Where were you? Then Lazarus raises from the dead, which was still a huge, like, still there. And then we kill Jesus on a cross, and we wonder, now where's God? But then he is raised from the dead, and we go, there he is. Then he ascends into heaven, and we've kind of wondered, where did he go? Then the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, and we go, still there. And this back and forth tension of still there to where and back to there is not only all throughout history. It's also been true in your life, and it's been true in my life. I mean, you can relate. You've had a time when you went, there is God at work in my life. And then you can point to a time where God seems so distant and nothing in your life made any sense at all. So what do we do? Do we just assume that like God's bipolar or is something else going on? Because sometimes it feels like the ancients and the people of today are all thinking the same thing. I mean, God, either you're for us or you're against us. But this back and forth is kind of hard. It's tough. And I get it. I mean, you had a time in your life when you would just sing or you loved to read your Bible or you'd go to small groups and you served and you were involved and you were so excited and you had such confidence in God. I mean, you would pray and it seemed like things just happened. I mean, sure, you'd have some bumps in the road, but not every day was rosy, but you just knew and God would seem so close. Then you had another season of life. And the bumps were a little harder and the prayers didn't seem answered at all. In fact, you weren't even sure they were heard. And you started wondering, God, are you mad at me? And you're trying to figure out what you did wrong. And you quit reading your Bible because it just kind of seemed like a bunch of words after a while. Cynicism started to creep in, and now you're wondering if all this God stuff was maybe just something you made up in your head. Church kind of became like a routine, and religious things kind of seemed to annoy you. And you quit praying because you just didn't even, you didn't even see what the point was anymore. And I get it. My life's no different from yours, and I've had moments when God seemed no, so near, and it was just awesome, and, and I could see how he had the whole world in his hands, and then I've had seasons where I, the bottom just fell out, and, and I've been in the middle of nowhere and wondered, God, where are you? And I've had prayers answered. They've been amazing. And then I've been to funerals where God seemed to be deaf. I've read books where people have had these ooey-gooey spiritual experiences, and I've read other books like the one about Mother Teresa who felt like God abandoned her. So here's what we know. And you're not going to like this, I promise, but it's true. This is normal. You're going to have seasons where it's obvious, like God moments, and then you're going to have seasons where you wonder where God is at. I mean, it's a part of our faith. And again, you may not like it, But for those of you who think something's wrong with you because God hates you, that is just not true. God loves you. And if you're in a God is still there moment, I mean, you should celebrate it, enjoy it, journal about it, blog about it, tweet about it. You will need it to get through those where's God moments. And if you can see God is still there, or if you're missing God, fear not. I mean, it's not going to last forever. You need to hold steady. Don't lose faith. Soon you're going to have another still God moment. Here's the thing. Some of you and some of the people, and you know, I mean, you got stuck right in the where's God moment too long and you've lost your faith. And you may have left faith unnecessarily. If you know someone like that, be kind, be patient and encouraging to them. 
I mean, we've had intense where's God moments that pushed us beyond the brink, and we've all had undeniable there's God moments. So God has been so far, and he's been so close, and he's been everything in between. Jeremiah is a story written about people who were asking, you know, did God quit being God? And then a Messiah is promised. And when the Messiah is promised, a hundred years pass, and people start to wonder, is he here? Is he there? I mean, isn't it true? Same's true for you. You pray more when things are bad. And you're also open to finding more about God. So let's review. I mean, Jesus comes, we see, then he dies, then he ascends into heaven, then the Holy Spirit comes, and we're in the period of the church. And let me tell you how this ends. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. And it ends in Revelation 22, uh, verse 13. It says, look, I am coming soon. Look, I am coming soon. And we're somewhere in the middle of all that. And so you and I enter into a relationship of trust and obedience and humility. And I tell you this, in the where God moments are in your faith, your faith grows. And in the there's God moments, your faith grows. Just like winter and summer, you need both seasons. We need sunshine as much as we need rain. We need both for things to grow. And, and I don't like it because I prefer sunshine in summer. I do not like rainy, cloudy days. I don't like the where God moments either. Because here's another thing that I don't like. Many times I've wondered where God is. It's, it's not because he checked out, it's because I did. And so if you have walked away from faith because it's been too long, I want to invite you back. And I know it may feel weird and you may still be upset and you may be disillusioned, but come back. And if you're experiencing the goodness of God right now, write it down, tell others. You may be the very thing someone else needs to hear to make it through their wear moment. And this is a week that for us is tough. I mean, it's the, birth, the, the week where we celebrate the birth of our oldest son and we thank God. But it's also the anniversary of our daughter's death. Where's God? And my wife reminded me this week, Paul, we have to rely on the facts of our faith and we can't get caught up in the emotional feelings of our circumstances to carry us through. And, and she's right. And that's why this morning I wanted to go back through the facts of God's faithfulness in the ups and in the downs of life today. And I want you to know that God loves you. Even when your circumstances or your emotions don't provide the proof you want, you can still trust and know that he still has the whole world in his hands. Can I pray with you? Father, we just want to call out to you and help us to remember the facts of our faith. The facts are that you love us, you created us, you know us best. And there are seasons in our life when it's so evident and so obvious. And then there's other seasons of our life where we kind of question everything. And would you help us to know that you love us in both seasons? It's not that you've abandoned us, you've not left us. These are moments when we have our opportunity for our faith to grow. And so if we're wondering where you are, or if we have the confidence that you're right there, would you help us to be honest about where we are? And in the end, and, and as we go through this, as the storms of life kind of pass over us, we can look back on this moment and go, man, I could have abandoned, I could have walked away. But instead, help us to realize we're in one of those moments where we will look back and see the faithfulness of you, our God, who carried us through. We love you. Amen.
Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week.